All right. Now, let me read through the whole passage that we're going to talk about this morning. It is 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. The first thing that I want us to see from our passage today is that Christian commitment, which is what Paul is going to talk about here, means striving for unity and harmony in the body. Verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. Well, that's a big prayer, isn't it? Paul is asking that an entire church of people be united, they all agree, and that there be no divisions. Now, you know, uh, that's pretty much impossible unless we have the same person calling the plays, okay? I know that Pam has been without a football analogy as long as she can stand, so we're going we're gonna to do a little <laughs> quick football analogy. <laughs> yes, she's grateful. All right, God probably won't write the plays on the screen here okay so if that's not going to happen how do we get the plays 
Well, we get the plays from the leadership that God has established in your church. Now, I may be about to sound self-serving, but stick with me until the end. Uh, who, who is the, the primary leader, the, the buck stops there guy? Well, that's the pastor, right? So, could this be a self-serving uh, sermon? Yes, it could, but stick with me, like I said. What messes churches up? What more than anything derails a church that is healthy and doing well? I want to tell you the primary thing is a pastor who gets obsessed with pride. Now, pride can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Um, A pastor can start messing around with a woman that's not his wife, but the root of that is self-idolatry and pride. You know, he's going to say, hey, I'm, I'm so awesome that I need more women or that I need younger women or whatever it is. And so pride causes him to think that he needs some things that he doesn't have. Or it can manifest itself in a preacher stealing money from the church. You know, he can say, hey, I, I deserve this. Uh, I'm such, a, such an awesome preacher that I deserve more money than I'm actually making, so I'm going to steal some. So... The, the primary thing that I've seen in my experience is a healthy church is going along and they get blown up. It's because the pastor becomes prideful, all right? We don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. You don't want that to happen. We'll work together to make sure that that doesn't happen. But the second thing is a pastor or other leaders, like in our church, the deacons, um, if those people were to become separate from God in that they're not, uh, they're not in the Word and they're not walking in the Spirit. That can also derail a church quickly. So the leadership needs to be on the same page. We need to be in the Word. We need to be walking in the Spirit. One of the wisest things that I ever heard John MacArthur say, and John MacArthur, everything he says is wise, okay? So one of the wisest things I've ever heard him say that impacted me greatly is, When you're trying to decide what to do in any given situation, if you are obeying the Lord, if you are submitted to Him 100%, if you are in the Word and walking in the Spirit. Now, that's a big if. But if all those things are true, do what you want to do. That is genius, guys, because if we are submitted to the Lord, we don't have to struggle over every single decision. If we are living that quorum Deo that I keep talking about in front of the, in the face, in the presence of God, we don't have to sweat over every decision. We can do what it is we want to do if we are living in submission to the Holy Spirit. So we need leadership, all the leadership, the deacons and the pastor, to be walking in the Spirit and continuing in the Word. And if that doesn't happen, we may have disagreements, and we don't want that to happen. So the third thing that can cause disagreements and cause inward strife is a people, a congregation that won't follow leadership. We don't want that either. We don't want any of those bad three things to happen where we have disunity. Amen? Because we like unity and we want to maintain unity. So let me finish by saying I, now Paul wrote this, but I'm going to plagiarize because this is the prayer of my heart as well. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among us, but that we be united in the same mind and the same judgment so that we can actually work together 
toward the furtherance of the gospel. So let's, let's remember, guys, anytime that there wants to be any division, anytime there's a little hint of a problem, address that problem. Come and let's talk about that problem. Go to a deacon and say, hey, I'm worried about this. And the deacon will, will tell the rest of the deacons and tell me and we'll all work together to fix it. We don't want any little crack of disunity because that will kill us. All right, so Christian commitment means striving for unity and harmony in the body. But it also means Jesus above all other allegiances. We see here that these Corinthians had their favorite preachers. Paul says in verse 11, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. So Paul is saying, hey, how can there be divisions among us when we're all following Christ? You know, Paul said, follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so all of these great leaders were marching to the same drum. They were all following the Lord. And so for there to be factions in the church was just foolishness. And let me, let me take a little aside here to say, please notice that Paul cites his source when he says that it's been reported to me. Um, do, do me a favor and do yourself a favor and do our deacons a favor. And, and don't say people are saying and then fill in the blank with a complaint. Uh, because what we're, you know, we weren't born yesterday. We realize that what that means is I'm saying this complaint and I don't want to attach my name to it. Okay, don't, don't do that. If there is some problem, come and say, here's the problem that I have. Or I have heard uh, dissension because this individual is upset. You know what we can do about it then? We can go to that individual and we can fix it. So Paul wisely points out, hey, this is who told me there's division in the church. Now back to our football analogy. Don't confuse the quarterback with the coach, okay? Um, what happens when the quarterback is injured and has to leave the game? Well, a new quarterback comes in, right? And they keep on rolling with the same game plan. So whether it was Paul or Cephas or Apollos, they were all following the commands of the coach, which is Christ. What did our coach, our master, our Lord tell us to do? Well, he told us a lot of stuff to do. But the last thing that he told us to do, and maybe the most important little summary of what we're supposed to do, is make disciples, baptize them, and teach them all the stuff I commanded you. So I want you to like me. I want you to trust me. Um, I want you to give me the benefit of the doubt. When I do something and you think, is he trying to be evil and scheme or is he doing this for our benefit? I want you to give me the benefit of the doubt. But our primary allegiance must always be to Christ and no preacher ever. I was talking to some folks earlier. I, I love good preaching and I love good preachers. Uh, I listen to J.D. Greer all the time. 
Uh, I think he's an awesome guy. But if he, you know, if he did something crazy and ran off and left his wife and took his secretary to Mexico and moved, and you know, if he did that, I'd be hurt and I'd be sad and I would grieve, but it wouldn't mess up my relationship with Christ, right? Because I'm not following J.D. Greer, I'm following Christ. So we want to love our pastors and our deacons and our leaders, but we don't want to idolize them for sure. There was a guy in South Haven at a church, and my job was ending at uh, Trinity Baptist Church where I was. We had a pastor come in, and, and in the change of leadership and in some different things that I won't get into, we shrunk by about 70%, and all of a sudden, the uh, instrumental music director, which was me, was no longer a position that they could continue to pay. And uh, they said, man, you're doing a great job. We'd love for you to keep on doing what you're doing. We're just not going to pay you anymore. <laughs> and I thought, huh, well, that's a, that sounds like a good deal, but I'll pass if I can. Right. So I was looking for another ministry opportunity there in South Haven. And a guy asked me to come and lead worship one day. And so I did. And he met with me afterward. And he said, man, that was great. That was great. Uh, our people like you. I like you. It was, it was wonderful. I'll call you next week. Well, he didn't call me next week. And he didn't call me the following week. And so I thought, this is, this is weird. Seems like he'd at least call me and say, I don't want to use you. So I called him and I said, hey, man, you were going to get in touch with me and that never happened. What are you thinking now? Well, he told me that he had had a worship pastor with him over the past number of years. And that that guy had been there long enough that he had gathered a following of people. And when those two reached an impasse they couldn't work out, uh, he asked the personnel committee to, to change worship pastors. And so that worship pastor got really mad and got a whole bunch of people in the church mad and caused a big old schism in the church. And so this pastor told me, I'm just not going to hire another worship pastor because I don't want anybody gaining that much influence in the church. That's, that's bad, isn't it? I mean, to be scared of sharing any leadership because you might lose followers to, to somebody else that's working alongside of you that you're supposed to both be serving the Lord, right? So it wasn't that he wasn't going to hire me. He wasn't going to hire anybody because he thought that a worship pastor could gain a little bit of influence and he didn't want that. So we got to make sure we avoid that kind of foolishness like what's happening in this Corinthian church. We strive for unity and harmony in the body. We have our allegiance to Jesus above all others. And the third thing is the proclamation of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.17 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel... And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now Paul was not saying that baptism is unimportant. These people were taking pride in who it was that baptized them. I have told some of you, maybe all of you, that Dr. Adrian Rogers performed my wedding ceremony for me. Uh, I was honored by that. I'm, I continued to be honored by that. But the most important, important part of that ceremony by far was my bride, not the guy doing my service, right? Um, so the proclamation of the gospel 
was Paul's primary mission, and it has to be our primary mission as well. So we got to do a wedding yesterday, and uh, Daniel and, and Rana, I appreciate you asking me to do it. But 10 years from now, are you going to be saying, my favorite memory of that wedding was Brother Steve? I just know, right? Because it's more about you, isn't it? Right. So our relationship with Christ is more about Christ than it is the guy who baptized us, okay? So our primary mission and Paul's primary mission was the preaching of the gospel. So let me ask you this. What happens when we proclaim the gospel? Well, the world ridicules us and ridicules the message. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 23 says this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles." All right, are there any, any kids in here? If there is, have an adult wave at me. Okay. Do any of you have a passionate love or a seething hatred for the tooth fairy? Anybody? Okay, I didn't think so. Why do we not care passionately about the tooth fairy? Because he doesn't exist, right? Okay. Or she doesn't exist. I don't even know what gender it's supposed to be. So, here's the deal. Why does the world hate God? Because they don't believe in him? No, they know. They know. And they hate him. And they hate him passionately. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. They hate the gospel. A God who created them has the authority to rule them, and they cannot tolerate that. Or, on the other hand, if there is a God then women who have the right legally to end their pregnancies cannot do so and escape entirely the judgment of God. And they cannot abide that. Now, if you have, have had an abortion or know of anyone who's had an abortion, there's a solution for real guilt, and that is real forgiveness. So we would never want to be unkind to somebody who's had an abortion because it's a sin like every other sin, right? And there is real forgiveness out there for anybody who wants it. But to say that there's a God who has his own absolute rules, man, it's intolerable to the world. They hate that. You know how people, though, will try to have their cake and eat it too. They will try to have a form of religion but also have a God that approves of their every sin. And so we'll make up our own God to fit in there. The problem with that is, eventually, they're going to meet up with the real God who exists independently of their imagination. And he says, we read in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. But here is the good news. The world is going to think it's foolishness, but listen to this. 
those who are called, those who are the called of God, respond to the gospel and are saved. 1 Corinthians 1, 24 through 26 says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, and not many were powerful, and not many were of noble birth. So let me ask you this. Who are the called of God that will respond in faith when they hear the gospel? They are the elect. We read about them in the New Testament. Let me give you a few examples of where we read about them. Matthew 24, 22. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. A few verses later, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Matthew twenty four thirty one, And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of heaven, one end of heaven to the other. Romans eleven seven. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. First Peter one one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Second Timothy two ten. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain a salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The reason I gave you a bunch of examples there about where the Bible talks about the elect is, I'll hear people say sometimes, I don't believe in that business of election. And I'm thinking, well, but it's all throughout Scripture, so I'm pretty sure you need to believe something about it. Um, You'll hear people say that, and it always uh, sort of sounds like, Maybe I shouldn't listen to anything else this guy says. It baffles me when I hear people say that they don't believe in the elect because the scripture very clearly teaches that they exist. Now, here's the question. Who are they? Those are the ones who respond to the message of the gospel. God knows who they are before the foundations of the earth. God can spot them beforehand, but we cannot. So, what do we do? I mean, I wish we could spot them beforehand, because then when Brother Don and I, or when some of our deacons and I go out, and we want to share the gospel, if, you know, every 12th house had an elect sign up on the roof, we'd know where to stop, (laughs) and we wouldn't have to waste our time, right? That's not how it works, though. So what we do is we present the gospel to everyone, and we see who responds to it. That's not our business. We don't spot the elect ahead of time. We present the gospel to everyone. And we see who comes and responds in faith to that. The Bible says, whosoever will may come. You know it says that? That's a beautiful truth. Does the doctrine of election go against this? Not at all. So when we, um, when we share our faith, we are to share our faith as accurately as we can as passionately as we can, but the great news is that the person you're sharing with, it's not about how charismatic you are, okay? You can't save somebody from hell with a really passionate, polished uh, 
recitation of the gospel. God is the one who is in the business of actually saving souls. We're just called to testify. And we need to testify well. We need to testify as well as we can. But thank God it's not up to your charisma or your power to save anybody. So if you understand that, it makes witnessing so much more freeing. We don't have to convince anybody to do what they don't want to do and follow Christ and give up the the world. We don't have to do that. We just have to tell them the truth and see if they respond in faith. What is the ultimate result of our proclaiming the gospel? That is our third point here under what happens when we proclaim the gospel. God gets the glory. 1 Corinthians 1, 28 through 30 says this, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So listen, guys, if you don't think you're special enough for God to use you, you are exactly the kind of person that God will use. Did you see what our passage said? It said not many superstars are called. It's the regular folks that are called that God is pleased to use because He gets the glory from that. It said God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So he's saying if you think you're a nobody, great. You are just the kind of person that God wants to use for his own glory. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God can make nobodies into somebodies and use them for the glory of of himself and for the spread of the gospel. On the other hand, if you think that you're so charismatic and so wise and well-trained that God desperately needs your skills, then I doubt very much that God will be pleased to use you until you repent and humble yourself. So what do we do? What do we do? First of all, we unify. Uh, I think we are unified. But if we're not, we unify. Um, If there's ever a beginning of something going on, I I can't stress this enough. If there's ever any root of a problem that comes up, what you need to do is have communication there. Um, I've been in churches where, uh, this one church I was in, the pastor decided that we needed to have two different kind of worship services at two different times. And that's not bad. A lot of churches do that. Um, But what he told the people was, we are out of Sunday school room and we have to have Sunday school in the middle of these Uh, times so that we can spread out the classes the problem with that is people were walking around and looking in Sunday schools and going there's plenty of room here I don't understand this (laughs) and so they rebelled against what was being given to them now I think what the pastor really wanted and I, I don't know I couldn't read his mind but I think what he wanted was to have two different worship services in order to have two different styles of music and like I said that's okay if you want to do that But what he said was, we're out of Sunday school space, and our folks walked around and saw a bunch of Sunday school space and said, hmm, this doesn't make sense. So what we need to do to ever prevent people thinking we're up to something is we need to communicate. (laughs) And I'm going to communicate, and our deacons are going to communicate. But 
if we ever have the, the inkling of trouble, tell somebody, bring it up, don't let it fester. So we need to unify, and if we are unified, praise God, we need to continue to hold fast to that unity. The next thing is we need to proclaim the gospel. We need to do it from here, we need to do it as a church, but we need to do it as individuals as we leave here. You know, one of the coolest things that I see in the book of Acts is when persecution starts getting really hot, the, the disciples stayed, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, and everybody else was scattered, and the gospel was being scattered with everybody else. So the church leaders, the experts, <laughs> were in Jerusalem, and yet the gospel was going everywhere because regular old church members were taking the gospel with them where they went. So we need to proclaim the gospel. The next thing is glorify God for whatever successes he brings. I pray constantly, and I hope you pray constantly, that God will increase us, that we will see people saved, we will see people baptized, we will bring folks into our fellowship. I pray that all the time. And when he does, we need to make sure that we praise God for that. Let me tell you, um, I, I end every sermon by explaining what the gospel is. Because I don't want there to ever be an occasion where somebody comes in here and does not hear the gospel. But, that's one reason. The other reason is, I want you to be prepared next time you have an opportunity to share the gospel. To say, man, I've heard this 50,000 times, so I know exactly what to say. The good news of the gospel is that even though we have sinned and fallen short of what God has asked us to do, God sent his son who didn't fall short ever who lived a perfect, righteous, holy life in our place. And then the amazing news is he traded places with us. So if you want to have Christ's righteousness instead of your sin, you can have that by faith. And you know, we talked about who the elect are, and that's not something we need to be afraid of because the Bible talks about the elect. And if you're ever sitting there going, well, I don't know if I'm elect. Let me tell you how you know. You respond to the gospel. <laughs> You come up here and you say, by faith, I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior. And then, you know what? You're one of the elect, okay? We can tell that way. So respond to the gospel. You are free to do so. Your neighbors, they need to hear it. So what we're doing is we're training our, our, some of our deacons. We're going to get ready, and we're going to ask you to come and do it with us. But you don't need to wait on us because you know why? You've already gone down this road. If you are saved then you know how to be saved because you know that Christ forgave you of your sins. So pray for opportunities. I, I, I wonder sometimes if people believe in prayer. And the reason I wonder that is sometimes we don't pray. And it seems like if we actually believed in prayer, we would be in prayer. But if you want to see God answer your prayer, I double dog dare you to do this. Pray that God will give you an opportunity to share your faith. And then open your eyes and see if he doesn't do it. Because my experience is he answers that prayer every single time. I hope you're saved and I hope we have unity. And I hope that we can get on board with proclaiming the gospel and doing those things that Paul says Christian commitment is really about. Um, I'm excited. I don't know if you can tell. But I'm enthusiastic and I'm excited because I think there are great days ahead of us. But the only way that there are great days ahead of us is if we stay unified and we stay about the main thing. So pray that we will and then work so that we will. Amen.